This is Phaedra Cook, editor and publisher of Houston Food Finder, and this is the Houston Food Finder podcast. Thanks to, or no thanks to COVID, outdoor activities are more appealing than ever, and that includes farmer's markets. Today's guest is the founder of one of the newest ones, which is the Heights Mercantile Farmer's Market. Sometimes people start businesses or community projects for very personal reasons, and that is certainly the case for Casey Barbels. She is also known as the Informal Grub on Instagram, where she has a large following. She has struggled with various health issues and syndromes since she was young, and eventually being diagnosed with what she calls a trifecta of syndromes. Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, Postural Orthostatic Tachycardia Syndrome, which is also called POTS for short, and Mast Cell Activation Syndrome. And as you'll soon hear from her, learning how to manage these conditions led her to learning more about how she needed to fuel her body in order to be able to have a life. She even went and pursued a master's degree in clinical and functional nutrition. And while she was finishing that up, she was invited to start the Heights Mercantile Farmer's Market. It is soon celebrating its one year anniversary and it will be a socially distanced anniversary. It's not going to be some kind of blowout party because you know, we still all need to be mindful of protecting each other. But there will even be a dunk tank and several top Houston chefs who are volunteering for a turn to possibly get soaked. So let's dive right into this podcast and let's hear Casey talk about not only her life journey that ultimately led to establishing the Heights Mercantile Farmers Market, but also about the market itself and what all it has to offer. Hi, Casey. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you bet. And I am excited to hear that Heights Mercantile Farmers Market is about to celebrate a first anniversary. So congratulations on that. Thank you. I like cannot believe it. It's really, I'm just, I'm super excited. I want to find out more about how that came to be. And I think that probably starts with your own personal journey. So could you tell me a little bit about how this happened? It's wild. Just how this very, very long road of chronic illness led me to something that is just so now on this side of it, just like so beautiful and so fulfilling and provided me almost with sole purpose. It's really neat. So I have about three syndromes that are kind of, I call them the trifecta, about 30% of people that have the main one have the other two. And so for me, one is genetic. So I've, I've had symptoms my whole life since I was a child. And Symptoms started when I was a kid, you know, syncope. So I would say I'd be uh, lying down on the couch and I'd get up really quick. I would black out, you know, I wouldn't lose consciousness, but it was just kind of like a really intense head rush. And then this just kind of 
continued through growing up. You know, I played sports, but then I just would always be way more fatigued than the kids, or I would just be sick all the time and sleep just crazy hours a day. And as I got older, I would just find more and more diagnoses would be finding me, it seemed. So, you know, I struggled really badly with migraines. And then in college was mitral valve prolapse. And then shortly after marriage, I was diagnosed with hypothyroidism. And just all these things just weren't really adding up to my lifestyle. You know, I was active and I ate fairly well. I mean, at that point, I was still having like fast food and didn't really know too much about nutrition. And it caught up to me. I have a heart condition and that started getting worse. And at the time I was working in pharmaceutical sales and a lot of these doctor's offices that you call on for years and years kind of turn into family almost. And one of the doctors that I was calling on was just checking in on me. And I'm like, oh, now it's mitral valve regurgitation. It's just, I don't understand like why my heart's getting worse. And so he was just asking me some questions and he was like, can you bend your thumb on the back of your hand? And I was like, yeah, that's like a recess party trick that I've been doing since I was a kid. And, and he was like, you have mitral valve prolapse? Yes. You have hypothyroidism? Yes. And then he was like, do you have an umbilical hernia? And I was like, yes. Like, What is going on? And so he was just like, okay, do your arms hyperextend at the elbows and knees? Yes. You know, is your skin like velvety soft? Do you bruise easily? Do wounds take forever to heal? Yes, yes, yes. So he was like, don't get on the internet, but I think you have something called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And he was like, there's a lot of different types and some are very scary. Some have a life expectancy of 48 for a little bit, that's the one they thought I had because it's where essentially your organs can rupture because the tissue is fragile. So essentially that started unpeeling of the onion, if you will, that we're looking at something that is more of a syndrome because I was getting all of these diagnoses like the mitral valve and the hypothyroidism and just other diagnoses that were coming. Tell me the name of that syndrome that the doctor diagnosed you with. Yeah, it's called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, and I have type 3 hypermobility. So essentially, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome is a genetic mutation of my collagen. And so and the analogy that they give is I'm kind of like a house that was built a little too quickly. <laughs> a lot of faults, and it's structural. So the collagen is what surrounds your joints and keeps them tight and functioning. And so for me, my joints are very loose. And so I'm susceptible of subluxations and dislocations, but then also it affects some of my organs. So it's affected my my valve and my heart, I guess, stretchier than normal. So it causes palpitations, PVCs. And so Ehlers-Danlos is the main one. And then the other two that come with it is POTS, which stands for postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. And that falls under something called dysautonomia. So essentially my autonomic nervous system is sensitive and it's multisystemic. And that was the one that really rocked my world in my mid twenties that was leading me down a road of disability. At 29, I was in the beginning stages of early term heart failure. Like that's how bad my heart got electrically. It just was really, really not doing great. And so, you know, and then another one is called mast cell activation syndrome. So those are the three I call the trifecta. And 
the mast cell activation syndrome, it really is the one that made me look more at the food that I was eating, which then down the road led me to the farmer's market. So, you know, once upon a time at probably 27 is when I I got those three diagnoses. And my geneticist was just, you know, you're at rock bottom and your body is shutting down like one body system at a time. And so if you don't start making changes, you're not going to have a great road ahead. Wheelchair and just on disability in my 20s, it just was terrifying. Sounds so scary. (laughs) Yeah, you know, and here I was someone that was doing the MS-150, triathlons, yoga, an athlete my whole life. I played all the sports. I mean, all of them and was really good. (laughs) And then so meeting with my geneticist and really facing the music of, okay, I'm not respecting these syndromes. I'm trying to beat them, but I'm looking at it from the worst angle possible as myself as almost two entities. Like there's me and then there's these syndromes. No, they are me. They make me unique and they make me who I am. And so I had to learn to, I guess, nurture these syndromes instead of battle them like I was. And I was seeing everybody here in Houston I had to spend a week at the Vanderbilt's Autonomic Nervous Center getting testing. And they found out that heart surgery would kill me on the spot due to where the issue is. And so I was just running out of options. And, you know, I had the best of the best with their hands in the air. And I was just, oh my gosh, there's no options left. And then I got so lucky that my cardiologist at the time uh, was just kind of like, look, I don't know what to do. And here's this guy's card and it's this acupuncturist. And I don't really know what he does, but every time I don't know how to help someone, he does. And this acupuncturist, the joke is that I was like this wounded deer that they found on their front steps and brought in and saved. He gave me a new angle, a new perspective to look at when it comes to healing the body. And his version was way more beautiful than what I was going through. I was a guinea pig in most of my doctor's offices with medications and procedures and nothing was working. It was making me worse. And it just, I was so scared. And so when I met my acupuncturist here in Houston, Brian McKenna, he taught me acupuncture and Chinese medicine and mindfulness meditation But not only that, he taught me that like I was in control of this, that this other entity, if you will, was controlling me. It wasn't, but the fear was and kind of spiraling on what the heck do you do? And you're just getting worse and nothing's helping. And so that is when I started to grow. You know, I mean, I was I was incapacitated for months on the couch or in bed. I couldn't stand longer than 10 seconds when I was at my worst uh, without fainting because my heart rate would essentially skyrocket. Just by standing, it got up to about 180. And then that's when the syncope happens because your heart compensates with your blood pressure and you faint. And so, you know, I was having to like research. At one point, I literally was researching trendy canes, like cute canes for 20-year-olds. Like it was just, it it blows my mind that that's where I was in life just six years ago. Even just Uh, that that heart rate that you just mentioned, I mean... (laughs) Higher than many people's recommended max heart rate when they're working yeah, out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I was just standing. Like, that's how hard it was on my body to hold itself up. And so, yeah, they diagnosed me with hyperadrenergic POTS at Vanderbilt. And uh, the tilt table test. It's like a torture table. They essentially strap you to a table 
and they tilt the table up and then they time it and they take markers at like every minute, one minute, what's your heart done? And then three and then six. And then the goal is to get to 10, but a lot of people don't make it to 10 because they essentially pass out. That's like what they want you to do. That's the point of the test is to record what that does to your heart and your blood pressure. So they got mine up to one, between 160 and 180 during that test, just standing 10 minutes. And so, you know, in your 20s, you're like, wow, I can't go to concerts anymore. But something as small as, wow, I can't even stand in a grocery line to check out. Then you become dependent on other Mm -hmm. people to help you with really basic needs at all. Yeah. I remember the times my husband would wa- had to wash my hair, you know, I was on like broth and smoothies because I couldn't even like sit at a dinner table. It's not the life that I anticipated or was living. It's wild that that was life once upon a time. At some point, what you were coping with, with your health, led you to go get a health-related degree, didn't it? Yes, absolutely. It started to pivot. I created a lot of boundaries what I was doing with my energy, who I was giving it to, what I was doing. Because when you wake up, it's different than like being hungover. You know that, oh, okay, like I had too much to drink last night. I know I'm going to feel bad tomorrow. That's okay. I'll take a little half day off and whatever. When you're chronically ill, you don't know how you are going to wake up, how you're going to feel. I created this mindset of if I'm going to work so hard just to feel good, how am I going to get there? But then also like, I cherish that I can't sabotage that. And so I created boundaries with my friends. I stopped drinking for probably a year and a half, two years. But then I just no toxic energy, don't gossip to me, just a safe circle of sunshine and rainbows, because I am so weak. And I really, really need to get stronger. And so I had a lot of rules, like if we have anything social during the week, this was when I started getting stronger. It was, you know, then we'll do one thing on the weekend. And one of my girlfriends at the time was like, hey, you know, there's this great farmer's market. Just come with me. And so I finally had enough energy. And that was how I spent my Saturdays. And at that market, I got to learn about seasonal eating, the importance of eating food that's like super close to you that hasn't traveled far, that hasn't been picked early or sprayed with pesticides. And then I got to know chefs and ranchers and they educated me to the point where it was obvious that what they were saying is true because I was getting better and I was healing and I was getting my energy back. And then it slowly led me to being able to do essentially a type of workout that's for people with like autoimmune and basically bedridden. And I started to grow and I started to get stronger. And then I started connecting the dots that like, wow, food is information for my body. What is in this that is talking to my body and my body is embracing and utilizing essentially. And so that is when I got the interest in getting my master's in clinical and functional nutrition um, is because I was healing and, and I was doing a lot of this research on my own because allopathic medicine, what we're used to, they aren't trained in this. And it was at the time, probably six, yeah, six or so, so years ago, it was kind of laughed at. You said that was your master's that you got. What was your prior degree in? (laughs) Um, So I went to LSU and I was an elementary education major. But when I graduated in 2009, it was during a very unfortunate time for our economy. And when I moved back to Houston, no school district would hire anybody unless they had three years teaching experience. And so I fell into finance (laughs) for about four, almost five years, 
which then led me into pharmaceutical sales because the company moved to Newport Beach, California. And when we first go to college, we end up majoring in something and our lives take us in a totally different way. Oh, absolutely. When I look back on just the entire path I've had since graduating college, it led me here, all of it. I would not have had found this diagnosis without pharma. I wouldn't have found pharma if my company prior wasn't moving to the West Coast. And then I wouldn't have found that job if it wasn't for the hiring freeze. You know what I mean? It's just, it led me here. And that's why I know that I can't be upset at these illnesses. I just really, truly just needed to better understand in order to find soul's work. I don't know. It sounds crazy, but it's just, I'm fortunate that I've had the ability to get to know myself as well as I do to allow the rest to come. It's crazy. Yeah, it's it's always interesting, the coincidences and the factors and the circumstances that end up pointing people down their path. Right. How did you go from what you were doing before into founding the Heights Mercantile Farmers Market? Yeah. So when I was diagnosed with those three syndromes by my geneticist here, she, and no fault to her, my geneticist is wonderful, wonderful. But, you know, at that appointment when they're like, okay, you can't do yoga, you can't run, you can't do anything that you knew to (laughs) how to utilize, like to be yourself, you can't do anymore. And then she was like, and also you need to be vegan plus fish. Okay, bye. You know, there's no handouts. There's no lists. There's no emails checking in on you. And so I started this in secret, like this Instagram account, the informal grub, maybe one month after my diagnosis. And in my vision, like what Instagram was back then was just kind of a visual aid on what I needed to eat. So you could search hashtags, which would bring you to recipes or pictures of food and It just became an information source. I would take pictures of my food and say it was, I hate using this example because it's too easy, but say it's a salad. (laughs) And in that salad is some sliced up carrots. Well, in carrots are vitamin A. And what does vitamin A help you with in your own body? And so I wouldn't just talk about this salad. I would talk about ingredients or nutrients in the salad. And so I would kind of hope when you read it, you'd be like, oh, shoot yeah, I'm feeling like a little bloated today. Like, I wonder what this would help me because that's been such an issue or just kind of really having people ask questions about how they're feeling. And so that account, it grew. (laughs) It grew to a point where people were watching me heal. It was really wild. I started it when I was sick and now it's morphed into something far beyond I ever imagined it to. But, you know, I love supporting local. I love eating local. And so it kind of led me to partnerships with small businesses around Houston, where I would do cooking classes or wellness talks, panels and all those things. And it just allowed me to solidify what I was learning in school, but also share it with everybody and share how I was using this for myself and my healing and my journey. And hopefully you can find a little nugget of information here that will stick with you that you too will utilize. It's just kind of become just like a wellness platform, if you will, that's then turned into some clients here and there. And uh, just really though, a, a community that I so badly needed that has just 
given me just such strength and happiness. (laughs) You're still running the informal grub Instagram account. I just found it. Yes, I, I am. So for any of our listeners who might want to follow you, it is at the underscore informal underscore grub. And you've got over 11,000 followers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's been wild. It's (laughs) people have been really wonderful along the years and have, yeah, just watched it grow. It's been, it's been really cool. And how did that lead to the farmer's market? Yeah. So I, like I said, I, I started doing cooking classes all around town. So there's this one amazing shop at Heights Mercantile called Lemon Lane. It's owned by this sweet person that has now become a very dear friend, Laura Lemon. They're out in Nashville and I miss her. So she used to visit like once a month and she's just, uh, she's so great. But anyway, I did a cooking class at their shop one evening, highlighting all the ingredients were from a farmer's market. And so I was highlighting, you know, 10 probably different local vendors. I always add into my classes a little like nutritional nuggets, you know, the importance of why you should eat seasonal and why it makes sense to eat seasonal and local and all the things. And so after that cooking class, I got a call from Radom Capital. They used to own Heights Mercantile. Now they're the property managers on site of Heights Mercantile. And I actually went to LSU with an individual that works at Radom. And so he reached out and he was like, hey, you're cooking class was all the talk on yesterday's tenant meeting that they have. Are you interested in a farmer's market on site? We've always wanted one. We didn't really know who could run it, but we think that you would be perfect. And I even think at one point they're like, we could even call it like the informal grubs farmer's market. And I was like, oh gosh, absolutely not. (laughs) I think the the word heights has a way stronger following (laughs) than I do. So no. No, no, no. And so it was the easiest yes and the quickest yes I've ever given (laughs) because it was a no brainer. I mean, here I am getting my master's in clinical nutrition and I'm so badly wanting to build a bridge between allopathic medicine and functional. And it was perfect. And at the time I'm like, I don't know how in the heck I'm going to fit this in, but I'm just going to figure it out. You just, this is something you don't say no to. And that is just how it, how it began. And it started off with a bang. It was amazing. And then we definitely hit some road bumps along the way, navigating through this pandemic. But where we are now, it's just a year later almost. I just cannot believe it. The market started, the first market ever. It was supposed to be just the last Sunday of every month because I was still getting my master's. I was working at the same time. And so I was like, I can just give one Sunday. Like, this is a lot. Because you know, I built it alone, essentially just organizing it and getting it together and all the other things that go into it. But then after the pandemic happened, it was just very clear it needed to be twice a month because I'm like, okay, when are we encouraging? Try not to leave the home often, you know? And so I was like, okay, everyone can like bundle up for two weeks at a time easy at this market. But it's just also so important that people feel safe to leave their homes and go to a very safe setting. And then just to be able to socialize. I mean, being lonely is so dangerous in itself. Having a sense of community and just dialogue, even if it is 20 minutes with a mask on, but you're outside and you're somewhere where it's beautiful. 
So it's just been uh, like a godsend, just I think to just hearts and souls and minds just all over. I know that some people right now feel more comfortable with open air shopping than Mm -hmm. necessarily indoor shopping. And your market has several standards or rules in place for safety right now. Yes, absolutely. So I immediately hired on a deputy to have on site for just obvious reasons. If anyone were ever to get injured or, you know, we would have someone directly there immediately. But then it also became the importance of everyone feeling safe there. So we have him there to ensure no crowds are forming because I don't have anything there that would have a crowd just sit and watch. So like no cooking demos, sadly, you know, I used to have kids face paint and balloon animals. We don't have that. We don't allow any samples because that would require someone's mask to come off. And then if they're speaking to people, it's just, there's a lot of risks that could happen that are just, I would lose sleep over knowing if I was creating something where people could get ill. Uh, I would not, that would just break my heart. I just would not be okay. So we have hand sanitizer and masks at the information booth. We have the deputy on staff just to ensure everyone's wearing their masks. All of the vendors are wearing a mask at all times. And quite honestly, I don't think I've seen anybody without a mask on the property. I mean, obviously you can't control people that are exercising along the Heights bike trail. I'm not expecting a runner that's just running by the property to throw on a mask. Yeah, I can only control so much. But then also, you know, we have signs just saying, please stay kind, socially distance. But we haven't had any issues. We haven't had anybody disgruntled. Everyone gets it. We are in this together. It's so important to stay kind and just come grab your essentials. And But, you know, we don't want people to think that this is an event. This is a party. This is where people can just come and hang out for a few hours. It will eventually, hopefully, turn back into that. But right now, it's just so important that people just come out, grab your essential items, and chat with some really, really wonderful vendors and chefs and this just amazing community of people. But we don't want to have things that are going to cause a huge horde of people all standing together and standing there for a while. How many different vendors do you have at the market now? Oh, gosh, it is growing by the minute. I cannot even keep up. I'll be honest. It's insane. Last market, I had 46. I think, honestly, by the 27th, I'll have over 50 vendors. Wow. That is- I know. It's <laughs> crazy. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's, won- it's wonderful. It's so, so wonderful. But I just, I need, I need, uh, like, I need to hire a assistant at this point. <laughs> It's getting more than I can handle. I'm like terrified. I'm like, forget I've like onboarded someone or I'm fortunate. I'm a very organized person and it's gone so well. And everyone is so kind and wonderful that I just, you know, I want to keep up the good work. So everybody, you heard it here first. If you're looking for a manager <laughs> position. <laughs> yes. Very kind and organized. <laughs> I know you can't pick favorites. <laughs> oh gosh. Tell, tell us about a couple of them. Yeah. So gosh, it is, oh, this is hard. This is, well, it's first off, it's impossible. It's impossible. But so I want you to think of when you need something at the market, you don't want to go to the grocery store. You can find it at Heights Mercantile Farmers Market. We have the most phenomenal 
hydroponic lettuce that stays fresh for up to three weeks. I hope you eat it quicker than that, but it has the roots attached and it just is so wonderful because I refuse to buy lettuce at the grocery store now that I have tasted their lettuce, but also just farm fresh lettuce. Now, who's that? Um, this is Sustainable Harvesters. Oh, they had just, for I, anyone who says, like, I don't like salads, you just, it's because you haven't had their lettuce. <laughs> no, I totally agree. I actually went and toured the farm a couple of years Oh, no way. Oh, they're wonderful. It's so funny to be about lettuce because you think lettuce is <laughs> kind of boring. No, their lettuce is just amazing. Yeah. So that one nutritionally has been a game changer for me because I get asked all the time, like, oh, what do you just eat salads? And I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, with the root attached, it's a game changer. And you just tear it with your hands. It just allows you to really just really bond with that lettuce, if you will. We have amazing organic produce. It's seasonal. I can't encourage that enough is to really try to get all your vegetables from farmer's markets so that you can eat seasonal. You can eat what is fresh and local and hasn't been picked early and hasn't been sprayed. It's just wonderful. We have dairy, we have bread, we have vibrant flowers, we have honey that is stemmed from specific neighborhoods. And that blows my mind because you want to consume honey that is as close to your physical home as possible because you are embracing those local allergens. So the closer to your home, the better. And so B2B Honey Collective is brilliant because she has hives all over Houston. And so when you go shop with her, depending on which market she's at, you can pick something that's literally from your backyard. Or I just got one for a friend and I chose her neighborhood in Bel Air. I mean, it was super cool. Uh, Chilaquiles, he is actually, so his salsa, I could literally drink. I put it on everything. It's become literally a dinner table staple that just I mean you put it on salmon you put it put it on everything but he's actually created a new salsa that he is debuting at the year anniversary it's a habanero pineapple salsa that's insane I got to sample it and so I'm really excited for that I know my dad is especially I think he helped encourage Octavio to do a habanero pepper which can be really difficult and he nailed it obviously we have wonderful Houston chefs that are now vendors at the market like Tony of El Topo. So people freak out because the Houston taco, it's this amazing award-winning barbacoa taco that just melts in your mouth. So good. The fact that that is now there at the market, I just geek out every day just knowing that. I haven't made it to that truck yet, but I've literally heard good things about it. Oh, I dream of it. I literally dream of the Houston taco. It's amazing. So you got to come early for that. And then Chef Monica Pope, she is at the market. She was an early vendor early on. And we love her bone broth and her scone dough. She has so many different. So those I know sell so quickly in her granola. I saw a friend leaving her tent on Sunday at the last market carrying four of her giant containers of her granola. I will say I'm super excited for, we have this new vendor. They are Revival Provisions and they have fermented mustards and things, but I'm really excited because we're soon to be transitioning to fall. And so this is a great time to start it. They have this fire cider that is so wicked awesome. And it's something that you dilute and drink it in the morning and has apple cider vinegar in it. It has basically all the things to just get your body ready for fall so that we're less susceptible to get ill or run down, if you will. 
But gosh, I mean, I would be going on for two hours. Everyone is so unique. You can get it all. We have grass-fed meat. We have amazing pasture-raised eggs. I get really excited. We have a company called Happy Earth Compost, and they have made composting so easy. So like, I don't know if you're like me when you're cooking dinner and then you're just throwing all these scraps away. It just like makes me really sad that I'm just wasting these scraps. And so they give you this small bin that I leave by my sink that I put all my scraps in, but then they give you this bigger bucket. Then you discard it into that larger bucket and then they pick it up off your porch whenever you want. Once a week, I do every other week and they make it into compost. They've made it so easy because having your own compost can be really difficult and kind of smelly. Yeah. Now you've got your one year anniversary party coming up. Now what's the date for that? Yeah. So that's going to be Sunday, September 27th. So just in two weeks. And it's so crazy because the first market, which I don't understand how this worked, but our very first market last year was Sunday, September 27th. That's pretty neat. I don't know if that's how that works, but really cool. (laughs) cool. I think, wasn't this year a leap year? I think sometimes that's what Ah, okay. That would make sense. Yeah. Because of COVID, you're doing a socially distanced type of celebration. I am. Yeah, it's going to be really wonderful. So it's going to be just a normal (laughs) market-ish. But so we've recently expanded along 7th Street. And so this has allowed the ability, I'm working with the city on making this a safe street. I have this really wonderful vision that's already starting to happen and unfold of just, you know, we started with 14 vendors and my max was going to be like 20. And the fact that I'm almost to 50 is just unbelievable. But for this market, I've hired uh, this DJ called DJ Cheney and he's unbelievable. So he has painted this van to look exactly like a Scooby-Doo van and he's painted on it, you know, DJ Cheney van. And so he has this beautiful red long hair and he has the DJ table on top of his van. And so he's just going to be jamming during the market along all the vendors. And what makes me so happy about this is that he himself is socially distancing from the crowd and he's still able to provide his craft and wonderful music for everyone to enjoy. And I thought that that was just such a perfect match with what we're going through is we can still allow ourselves to have a good time while still feeling safe. I heard you have a chef dunk tank too, and that's something else people can do. That's fun and at a distance. (laughs) Yeah. So that one is really funny how that one unfolded. So (laughs) For anyone that's obviously living here in Houston, it's hot, okay? And on the weekends when you're at a market from 7.30 to 2, you're real hot. And so at the end of some markets, I'll hang out with a bunch of the vendors. And one consistently that I hang out with is Chef Monica Pope. And I was just kind of being silly. And I was just, God, like, I need to bring a dang dunk tank to this market. So it's so hot. And then I jumped. I was like, shoot, Monica, like, I'm just going to throw you in there. We're just going to dunk you. And she's like, yeah, I'd do that in a heartbeat. And then it turned into, wow, let's really help out the community. Let's bring people out of their homes in a manner that is still socially distant. So there's one individual in a dunk booth. And then there's a person, what, like 10, 15 feet away that's going to throw a ball to try to knock them in the water. And so 
it just made sense to choose an organization that is doing wonderful things for Houston and the community and local chefs and females and female health. It just was a no-brainer. And so, yeah, so we're going to have a celebrity chef dunk booth at the September 27th year anniversary market. And the proceeds are going to go towards I'll have what she's having. So essentially, you'll show up to the market and we're going to announce the chefs and their time slots and when you want to come. But essentially, pay five bucks or donate five dollars to throw two balls to try to knock in your favorite chef. And those proceeds are going to go directly towards I'll have what she's having. We have really, really great chefs. There's a lot more that we'll be adding to the list. Chef Monica obviously is going to be dunked. Chef Tony Lerman of El Topo, Aaron with Beji's Barbecue, Nick Wong with UB Preserve, Pat Greer of Pat Greer's Kitchen, Jess Timmons of Cherry Block, and Octavio with Chilaquilis. There's going to be a long list of really wonderful local chefs for everyone to come out and dunk and just kind of get to know and chit chat from a safe distance, but it's going to be kind of it, the dunk booth will be near Melange Crepery off like still on site, but away from the market. My DJ will have direct eye shot. So he'll be kind of giving the shout out of who's up next and go dunk and all that stuff. That sounds so fun. And if it ends up being a hot day, which it probably will be, the chefs will right. probably actually just be looking forward to going into that nice cool water. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I'm like, can I add myself to the list? Surely some vendors will want to dunk me. <laughs> right. And just as a reminder to everyone, the market is now running every other Sunday per month. And what are those hours again? Yeah, so it's essentially uh, the second and fourth Sunday of every month. So it was hard to say every other Sunday because sometimes there's five weeks in a month. And so that was going to kind of get things inconsistent for the vendors. So it's the second and fourth Sunday uh, from nine to one, rain or shine. Rain or shine. That's something I always have to salute the farmer's market vendors because they'll come out whether it's Raining, freezing, because when you have yes. produce to sell or you have something to sell, you've got to sell it. You can't sit on that inventory. So Right, right. I, and then and the people that they're, the farmer's market is their number one source, they're going to go out to in that condition. I know that it doesn't matter what the weather is like. I'm like, I need my green beans. You know, I need my bell peppers. I, I These things that are staples in my home, I absolutely can't skip, you know, in the whole other week. I have to get those things that I so badly love and utilize in my home. Yeah, it's really important that even if the weather's not ideal, Houstonians throw on their coats or their raincoats and bring their umbrellas, whatever they need to do, and still be able to go out and support these people. Because like you said, for some, it's their main income. Yes, absolutely. Without a doubt. And that's something that it's so apparent to me. I mean, farmers markets truly are the heart and soul of Houston, of the community, the people that are creating these products and waking up <laughs> in the middle of the night to begin, you know, are up till the middle of the night creating a product for us. Everyone has their story. Everyone has their why. Why did they begin this? And they're all beautiful. And so that's something that a farmer's market's not only provided me with nutrition and quality food, but also just a sense of community and getting to know people, you know, at their core and really what makes them tick and what 
is their passion. And it's just, it's created just quality, not only conversation, but just friendships that, you know, I don't really know where I would get elsewhere, especially now with everything that's going on. Yeah. And that's absolutely true. Because when you go to the same farmer's market regularly, you see the same people there over Mm -hmm. and over. And you get to talking and you do make friends by patronizing farmer's markets. Right. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And I am sure you're going to have a wonderful celebration and congratulations on it being so successful. Thank you so much. That really, really means a lot. And I, I hope to see you there. Thanks so much for talking with us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thanks very much to Casey for sharing her journey with us. I hope everyone who is able to celebrate the one year anniversary of Heights Mercantile Farmers Market goes and has a fantastic time. I hope you sink a couple of chefs. <laughs> My next guest is, in fact, one of those chefs. Chef Monica Pope has been a chef in Houston for decades. She is a pioneer of local food a champion of farmer's markets, and a breast cancer survivor. So that episode is actually going to be out in just a couple of days. I know, I'm not going to make you wait two weeks for a new episode. It's crazy. She actually, as Casey mentioned, is very involved also with Heights Mercantile Farmer's Market. So there's a connection there, and this is a natural progression for Chef Pope to be my next guest. She also was a James Beard Award nominee. I think that was 1995. So I hope you will join me again in just a few days. Take care. Thank you.